Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Well, in today's lesson, Solomon, the king of Israel, is dead. His son Rehoboam becomes king. The nation of Israel will become divided and the northern ten tribes of Israel will be known as Israel and the southern two tribes, which are Judah and Benjamin, stay loyal to the line of King David and they are known as Judah. The northern tribe's capital is Samaria and from the very beginning their first king, Jeroboam, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he made two golden calves and put one at the northern part of the land and one at the southern part of their land because the king did not want any Jews going down to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. So he gave them two places in the north to worship. Every king in the northern tribes of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord to some extent. Because First and Second Kings covers this information, the writer of Chronicles does not focus on the northern tribes. Instead, he focuses on the southern tribes because they are of the line of the covenant with King David. He also stresses the role of priests and Levites, and that makes so much sense because I remembered reading in First and Second Kings as to where are the Levites and the priests, and why aren't they doing anything? But here in Chronicles, we learn that they do serve the Lord, and some do stay faithful. We will be covering chapters 10 through 16 today, and we will review three of the kings of Judah. The first is Rehoboam, Solomon's son. He goes to Shechem for the people to make him king now that his dad is dead. The people testify that they have worked extremely hard in building the nation of Israel for Solomon. So they ask Rehoboam if he will lighten their load. He said, let me ponder for three days and I will get back with you. Now in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 10, there is a slight reference to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt because he had fled from Solomon. And since he heard that Solomon was dead, he left Egypt and came home and the Israelites sent and called him to help them ask Rehoboam this question. When I read this, I got an aha moment. The chronicler expects us to know the story of Jeroboam, and we know his story by reading 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 26 through 40. This also helped me to understand why the writer left out so much of the history because he knows it has already been told, so he's trying hard not to rehash some things. The story in 1 Kings tells us that Jeroboam was a hard worker and an upstanding man from Ephraim of the tribe of Joseph, so much so that Solomon made him one of his officials. 
Well, Ahijah the prophet went to Jeroboam and tore his new cloak into 12 pieces and gave Jeroboam 10 and told him that he would be king of Israel of the 10 tribes, but that Judah and Benjamin would stay faithful to the king of Judah. When Solomon heard about it, he tried to kill him. And that was why he fled for his life to Egypt. And there it says that the king of Egypt was Shishak. Now that we recall what we read in 1 Kings, the story makes more sense. So Solomon's son sought wisdom from his dad's advisors. And they said, if you soften their load, they will serve you forever. But if not, they will rebel. He then sought the young advisors, those that were his friends that he grew up with. And they said, tell him if you thought my dad was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, that was the route that King decided to take. The people responded, what portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse, which is another way to say King David because David's dad was Jesse. Each man to your own tents. Well, King Rehoboam sent the man that's over the taxes out to the people and they stoned him. So the king fled back to Jerusalem, that walled city. He was going to gather his fighting men and attack the northern tribes. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, a prophet. And God said to not fight your fellow brethren. So they obeyed the word of the Lord. The chronicler then records how well Rehoboam did as king. He built up cities like Bethlehem, 15 in all. He fortified strongholds and he had captains at each one. Then in verse 13 of chapter 11, we now learn what the priests did. If you remember, the Levites were scattered throughout all Israel in various cities and then they had the land surrounding it for their animals. One of the reasons was that they could be pastors then, in a sense, to the various 12 tribes of Israel. And then they would cast lots to when they would go to Jerusalem to serve at the temple. Well, when the nation split, the Levites left their town and their suburbs and their possessions, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem. There was also a side note that we also learned in 1 Kings that Jeroboam made people priests who were not Levites. Verse 15 then tells us that other people from the ten tribes, those who set their hearts to seek the Lord, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. And these additional people helped to make Rehoboam in Judah strong. That lasted for three years. The chronicler goes on about Rehoboam's many wives and children. And then chapter 12, verse 1 says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all of Israel with him. We then learn that the king of Egypt, Shishak, came up against Jerusalem and the Lord allowed it because they had sinned against him. The Egyptian king also had reinforcements of Ethiopians and Sukkims and Lubims. They took many fenced cities in Judah and up they came against Jerusalem. 
a prophet of the Lord, Shemaiah, came to Rehoboam and to his sons and told them it was because of their sin that this was happening. So they humbled themselves before the Lord and they said, the Lord is righteous. Because of that, the Lord granted some deliverance. So they were not destroyed, but they did become a vassal nation to Egypt. They had to pay taxes and Shishak took the treasuries that were in the house of the Lord. So King Rehoboam still did well for himself in Jerusalem, and he reigned for 17 years. The chronicler adds that there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Then Rehoboam died and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah his son reigned in his place. Now, Abijah reigned for three years in Jerusalem. We see a battle between Abijah and Jeroboam, king of Israel. They face each other and Abijah goes on about how they worship God correctly and how God gave the kingdom to David and his descendants and how Israel does not use real priests and how Israel worships idols. And while he's going on and on, Jeroboam placed his men behind Judah for an ambush. When Abijah and the people of Judah realized it, they cried unto the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets and the men of Judah gave a shout and God fought for them. God smote Jeroboam and the children of Israel fled and God delivered them into Judah's hands. Verse 18 of chapter 13 said, And Judah prevailed because they rallied upon the Lord God of their fathers. Abijah took some of Israel's towns, such as Bethel. Abijah had many wives and children, and he died and was buried in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. Asa was a good king, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took down the idols that were in Judah. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. And the land and the kingdom was quiet before him for 10 years. There was no war, just rest. Asa had built up the cities and his fighting men. And then in verse 9 of chapter 14, we see that Zerah, the Ethiopian, came to battle Asa. Asa cried unto the Lord his God, Help us, O Lord, for we rest on thee and in your name. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Judah followed and destroyed them, and carried away plunder in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15 starts with the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. 
So Asa took that to heart and removed any idols in the land. Plus he renewed the altars of the Lord and they sacrificed of the plunder and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their hearts and with all of their souls. King Asa even removed his mother from being queen because she had made an idol. But the high places where they worshipped idols were not taken down. But Asa's heart was perfect or complete all of his days. And the rest of his days as king were 35 years. There was no more war. That is, until we get to chapter 16. In chapter 16, we see that Israel's king Basha came up against Judah and built up a city of Ramah in order to keep people from going in and out to King Asa. King Asa then took silver and gold to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, to make a pact with him that they would fight Israel. So that came to pass. So the king of Israel left what he was doing in order to fight Syria. Then Asa and all of Judah carried the stones and tore down the work that was done in Ramah with the barricade. But verse 7 of chapter 16 says, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa the king of Judah and said, Because you relied on the king of Assyria and not the Lord, the Lord that fought for you before, you now will have wars. This angered Asa and he put the seer in prison and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Then Asa's feet were diseased and again he did not seek the Lord. He sought physicians. Now, Just a side note, I don't think it's bad to inquire of physicians. It's that he did not seek the Lord first and hear what God had to say. And so Asa died and they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he made for himself in the city of David. And the people made a very great burning for him. So what are some takeaways from this lesson? The first is that I hope I end my life well, pleasing to the Lord. It seems many times that after these kings were established and were on the top of the world that they turned from the Lord. I hope I finish strong. It's also funny to me the word established because I find myself longing for it, partly because these last two years have been a whirlwind of change for me, We moved from our home of 18 years where we raised our boys to move to Louisville, Kentucky in order to finish my Master of Divinity degree. We then finished that in a year and then moved back to Illinois. But I'm in a new town, a new neighborhood, a new church, a new job, and I find a longing to be established. Yet it seems every time the king gets comfortable, when he gets established, They begin to rely on their network or on their wealth or on their families or on their power and not on the Lord God Almighty. So maybe it's okay to not be established or comfortable because then the one I cry out to is God. The other thing that struck me is that when they relied on the Lord, King Asa and Judah had rest. 
My rest level is still not great, but it's getting there. For me, if I see my hand in a fist or I feel my teeth clenched, I can tell that my heart, my life, my spirit is not at rest. That's when I pause. I open my fists and I lay my palms open and up to God. I take some deep breaths. I give unto the Lord one anxiety as I breathe out And then as I breathe in, I remind myself to either praise God of his attributes or to thank him for his blessings. For instance, Lord God, I give you my fear of pain bills. Lord God, I know that you say you will provide all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Lord God, I ask that you be with my family. Lord God, I know that you watch over my family and that you care about what I care about. That's one way that I do it. Lots of times, too, I will quote a scripture verse if it comes to mind to help reaffirm to me the promises of God. The last takeaway I have is that of a perfect heart. And that's how Asa's heart was described. The word in Hebrew, perfect, does not mean no sin. We know that because we can just keep reading about King Asa and we see that he is not perfect. It can mean complete, friendly, full, just, made ready, peaceable, whole. Truthfully, that's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of Hebrew. One word can have a huge range of meaning. It does not mean, however, spotless. Oddly enough, this time around of reading through the Old Testament, I see that no one is perfect, and I see God's grace and mercy throughout the people's imperfections. And if they just turn back to him over and over and over and over and over again, God is merciful. In the New Testament, Jesus' half-brother James writes in that book of James, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So speak and do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty, for God will have judgment without mercy to those who show no mercy, for mercy triumphs or rejoices over judgment. Oddly enough, reading through the Old Testament, through the laws, I am finding myself more merciful. I am more merciful for my own self, and I am finding I am more merciful with others after seeing how the Lord is so patient with his people and then remembering how patient he is with me. So that's what God pointed out to me in this lesson. What is God saying to you today? If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Instead, ladies, let's be women who turn back to the Lord with a quote, quote, perfect heart. And someday it will be truly perfect when we see Jesus face to face, for then we will be made as he is. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time. Bye.